Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. Amid all the pageantry, hoopla, and media circus that is UN Week in New York, there's always some interesting and substantive work being done on important global issues. Sometimes, though, these issues are not on top of the agenda of world leaders, though they probably should be, and conversations around them do not get the kind of attention they deserve for one reason or another. So I was very glad to catch up with Carolyn Miles, president and CEO of Save the Children, to have a conversation about the challenges of getting refugee children in quality schools. According to a new report from Save the Children, 700 million days of school have been missed by 3.5 million registered refugee children. More than half of all refugee children globally are out of school. For Syrian refugee children, the situation is particularly bleak. 43% of school-aged Syrian refugee children will be missing school this year. And this number is an increase over the same statistic last year when 34% were out of school. This means that 730,000 Syrian refugee children are receiving no education. Earlier this week, I had the chance to meet one young Syrian refugee girl who is trying to change this statistic. Mizun al-Milan is a Syrian refugee who fled to a camp in Jordan and quickly became a prominent advocate for both her own interrupted education and for that of her friends and fellow refugees. Earlier this year, she was named a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador for this work, the youngest ever UNICEF-appointed Goodwill Ambassador. And she said something very profound that struck with me and, and made me want to do this episode with Carolyn Miles. Mizun said, as you have nourishment for your body, you also need nourishment for your mind. And this speaks directly to a challenge that Carolyn articulates in this interview of having to compete for donor dollars with other humanitarian agencies to provide a quality education for refugee children. So I did this interview just a few blocks from the UN, and I did it in person, so the audio is a little different than what you're normally accustomed to if you're a regular listener to the the show, but uh, enjoy. It is a good and important and timely conversation on a key global issue that too often gets overlooked. So here is my conversation with Carolyn Miles, CEO, President and CEO of Save the Children. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So uh, at the time, we were pushing, actually Save the Children was pushing to get every child into school within 30 days. And a lot of people said, wow, that's really 
ambitious. We don't know if that can happen, but let's make a commitment that every displaced child gets into school within a couple months. And so we said, okay, let's do that. Well, a year later from this summit last year, uh, there were more kids out of school, actually, more refugee children. So it was 34% last year. Now it's up to 43%. Of refugee children out of school. Correct. The whole, the total number, aggregate number of refugees around the world has also increased in that time. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. But the percentage of those kids is going up. The percentage out of school is actually going up. So we've got about three and a half million children who are now out of school, refugee children that are out of school. And the latest report that Save the Children just put out actually calculated the number of days of school lost. And it's 700 million days of school lost in the past year. Is there a specific conflict that's driving those numbers up? Well, of course, the Syria conflict, which has been going on uh, for now six and a half years, is a big piece of this. And I can get into Syria a little bit more and the challenges, particularly around Syrian refugees. But there are also, obviously, refugees that are flooding into places like Uganda, uh, from the famine and, and uh, hunger crisis in, in Africa, so from Somalia. So you have other, from South Sudan, so you have other populations of refugees that are also contributing to this. And I think the basic issue is that education in these kinds of crises is seen as a luxury, not as something that's so critical for children. As critical as, I would say, as food and water and shelter is getting kids back into some kind of normal learning because it is so difficult to think about I remember out of that. a couple of years ago, UNICEF put out that really alarming report saying that there might be a lost generation of Syrian children uh, should these kind you know, should, should you know, educational opportunities not be open and available to them. Um, can you, I guess, describe, say, for, for a typical a Syrian refugee in Jordan, say like Zatari refugee, who's living in a refugee camp, because you should distinguish there are a number of refugees who are outside of refugee camps who live in towns and cities um, in in host countries. But for those in refugee camps, say in Zatari refugee camp, the largest refugee camp uh, for Syrians in Jordan, what is their educational opportunities. Are there schools? Mm -hmm. There are schools. There are schools inside the camps, but actually the majority of refugees don't live in camps. Mm -hmm. But we can talk about Zatari. So in Zatari, there are now about 85,000 people still living in that camp. I was there in June of this year. And there are schools. Actually, there are kindergartens with Save the Children runs. There are schools that UNICEF is supporting and running. uh, And children can go to school. But the issues around kids going to it's not as simple as have the school there and kids will be able to go there are a lot of these children now who have been out of school for years because they've lived been living in different places and so getting them back into school if they've been out for a long time one of the other really uh big issues for Syrian children is working kids. And this is not so much in the camps, but outside the camps. So a lot of these families, the parents still can't work, so the kids will go out and go to work. And in Lebanon, for example, one of the things that Save the Children's doing in Lebanon is trying to get kids into some kind of informal school. So we're running kind of half days of school uh, for kids that are working. So they work from four o'clock in the morning until about uh, nine o'clock in the in the morning, picking uh, fruit and vegetables, and then they come to school for a couple of hours. But there is not enough resources, not nearly enough resources in places like Lebanon for kids to do that. Uh, and, and what kind of like curriculum is there in say yes. in the refugee camp uh, mm-hmm. situation? So in like Zatari refugee camp, like 
Is so we're using that. Yeah, yeah. So we're um, using the the actually in in Zatari, it would be using the Jordanian curriculum. Um, so we are using the curriculum of the country and Lebanon the same and Turkey the same and and Iraq where where there are refugees in all of those countries. So they would be using the the curriculum because the objective is to not have that lost generation to get these kids into school and be able to stay in school and. The countries, Lebanon and Jordan, are stepping up. They are saying we want to make more places available for kids, but we're not getting the kids all into the schools. And some of that is because of the child labor situation. Child marriage is another really big barrier to get kids into school. So girls I met when I was in Jordan, you know, uh, 13, 14-year-old girls who were being, you know, their families were really thinking the absolute best thing for you is to get married at this point in time. And obviously, once a girl gets married at that age, education is pretty much off the table. So is, is like, part of your challenge then, um, like, public education campaigns targeting to, like, parents? Yes. To, 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 like, you know, impress upon them the value and utility yep. of sending your kids Absolutely, to especially for girls. I mean, that's really a, been a big a big push for Save the Children is that, particularly for girls, that early marriage issue really does stop education. So trying to convince families and doing education campaigns for families in the centers where we're working on the value of education, particularly for girls. Um, so you, you mentioned uh, this big you know, confab that President Obama hosted last year on, on refugees. It was this yes. big, It was like the big substantive outcome of Barack Obama's last you know, uh, UNGA as as uh, president, and that included, uh, for listeners out there who do not follow this closely mm-hmm. at the time, um, a whole bunch of commitments from various member states and NGOs and nonprofits, yes. um, all around some issue pertaining to you know refugees and 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 you know doing more to care for this this refugee crisis and, and the people affected by it. Uh, so you mentioned that that one of the goals was to increase the number of children who are able to to go to school. Correct. Um, can you describe? Uh, you said earlier that 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 we're on like the wrong track there. Yes. What? Um, wh- I guess like what were some of the commitments that were made? So there was a that? commitment um, at that summit. The commitment was that we wanted to we the international community wanted to focus on getting displaced kids back into school within. Uh, several months of being displaced. So I think that has not been the case. I'll give you an example in Uganda, where, again, Save the Children is doing lots and lots of work for South Sudanese refugees who who are coming out of South Sudan because of conflict and because of drought. Education, again, in those camps, there are almost a million refugees in in Uganda now. In those camps, education, again, is not being prioritized. So when you look at the funding, for example, for those camps, for those um, for that program, you know, education is still a very small percentage of the the funding. And if you looked at emergency education uh, globally, the percentage that goes to education is very, very small. So one of the things that everybody said was, let's get that percentage to be much higher. Let's get it up to like five percent. I mean, we're not talking <laughs> we're not talking big numbers here. But we are talking about a higher priority, and that really hasn't happened. I have not seen that in the work that Save the Children is doing, that those the resources are being put into emergency because education. Because donors tend to prioritize things like food and medicine and Correct. shelter. Correct. And I'm not saying those things are not important, but we did one of the things we really tried to do last year is get 
a lot of people around the table to make those commitments. So countries, not just, you know, countries where refugees were living, like Lebanon, where 25% of their population are refugees, but also donor countries like the United States and the UK and Germany, the private sector, getting the private sector to say, we're going to help and we're going to help make sure that the focus really is on education. And I have to say, in looking at the numbers and look in this report that we just released, it we're not making that progress. We're, we're, and we are, because of this and because of the increased number of kids that are displaced, we are at the risk of SDG 4 not happening. Mm-hmm. That's um, the SDG for, for education. education. Correct. Um, I mean, do you find yourself, though, like competing with other aid agencies for like scarce and finite uh, aid dollars? And I mean, that, that's just one of the, 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 the fundamental challenges, right, of, of humanitarian response is that for every emergency, there needs to be like a humanitarian appeal and fundraising uh, around that emergency. And there are you know, so many. Yep. You know, needed causes, worthy causes that you know. If you're a donor, do you prioritize you know the World Food Program or yep. UNICEF or Save the Children? Yeah, it's, yep. it's yep. like a tough. Well, and and I would say have, it's like, not. Uh, well, I think what we what we try to say is it's about we start from the standpoint of the child mm-hmm. and we say what's really important for children. Obviously, protection of children, safety, you know, food, water, shelter, those are important. But but again, I think when you meet these children and you see the power of education for these kids in terms of getting them back to some kind of normal routine and making making sure they think they have a future, right? And meeting these children who have been out of school for so long, these Syrian children, that will tell you, you know, I, I don't think I have, I haven't been in school for three years. I, the only future I see is continuing to pick cucumbers, right? And this is from a country where highly educated, really high rates of literacy, and that's the lost generation that we're talking about. And I think what will happen down the line, right, five years from now, when these are the kids that are trying to rebuild, hopefully, Syria, these are the young adults that are trying to rebuild Syria, I think we're going to have a tremendous uh, crisis on our hands. I met, um, I, her name is escaping me, the young, the, the, she's the, the youngest UN, UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. In any case, I mean, she was saying that, that you know, like she's part of like a new advocacy campaign yes. that UNICEF is, is, I think, teaming up with her on to, to try yep. to promote this, this yep. issue more broadly. Like, what, what are you doing, I mean, personally yep. and, and, and see the children to make this issue more sure. of, of a central part of, of the emergency response? Yep. So the, it's probably the Education Can't Wait campaign. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the, the, the one you're talking about. And we are a big part of that campaign because we work in almost all of these countries where you have the situation of refugee kids living that are not getting into school. So in addition to the report that uh, we just released this week that really tries to document what really is happening for kids, Obviously, on the ground, one of our biggest interventions is to get kids back into school. So I talked a little bit about Lebanon. There we're doing informal schools for working children. So even if kids are having to work to support their families, which they are having to do because that's the only way that they have to support their families, we're still saying we can we can get those kids into three or four hours of school, a couple hours of school, which is better than no school at all. Inside Jordan, we're working very closely with the Jordanian government, who has been really good on this issue. You know, they have opened up hundreds of thousands of slots in their schools for the more than a million refugees that they have in Jordan. 
but working with schools to make sure that the kids know where to go, to make sure they actually get there, to make sure that the schools can actually handle the students, to make sure the parents are comfortable getting the kids into school, that is a very laborious process, so we're doing that. We have informal centers in Jordan that are for kids that have been out of school for a couple years to try to get caught up, because otherwise, if they've been out of school for more than two years, they can't enter the grade that they would be expected to enter. They have to do a catch-up course. So we're running those catch-up courses. So a lot of work on the ground. I mean, this Save the Children is an organization that, that works directly with refugee families. So we are trying to get more of these children. Uh, How is this, uh, the situation in, in Europe uh, right now for refugee kids? Is it, I mean, it has to be a little, is it a little better? Does it sort of depend it, on the country? It depends on the country. It definitely depends on the country. What well, um, countries are like the worst besides Hungary, Serbia? Uh, are those, are definitely, those are definitely the worst. I mean, Greece is pretty is yeah. pretty bad. I was in Cheos in uh, June, mm-hmm. and they are... one of the islands? It's one of the islands. Yeah. And so people are coming over from Turkey. The refugees are coming over in Turkey, still coming on these little yeah. rubber boats. To Cheos, and there, because there hasn't been an agreement for these children, and they're coming, a bunch of them are coming by themselves, so there's still a large number of unaccompanied children that are coming. Some are coming with their families, but they're basically being detained in Cheos because there's no agreement for them to go. The, the borders are closed, so there's no agreement for them to continue on, and so they are there. Um, most, all of them, we're not going to school when I sat down and talked with them. Just like in Europe, I mean, yep. you would, you would expect a higher level of engagement yep. on these issues. But. Yep. Well, and I think Greece would say we don't have the infrastructure. Chaos would say we, don't, we can't put tens of thousands more kids into our schools or thousands more kids into our schools. In the camps where um, Save the Children is working, again, what we're doing is informal school for these children. So there is a place for them to try to get some learning but it's you know that's not gonna it's a band-aid it's definitely a band-aid do you find that like that the politics of getting kids in school at the local level tend to be kind of fraught with you have i mean you know you you think about you know issues here where you have like like around like busing where you have like you know people who look different maybe than, than you do you have like local populations very very, you know, up in arms about letting, you know, those people yes. into their kids' schools. Do, yes. you, do you see that kind of... Um, it depends, again, on the country. I mean, in Germany, I think you have less of an issue in Germany where you have a much more um, regular uh, process to get kids into school, to resettle people in different parts of the country. In a place like Greece, it's really chaotic. And I would say there's definitely that pushback by local populations. But on the other hand, I've also seen local populations say, you know, we want these kids to, to get into school while they're here. We want them to be in school and have an, have an opportunity for education. So I think you see both. So I mean, we opened the conversation uh, with you kind of describing that the trend lines are, are going in the wrong direction. Correct. Are there any kind of indicators that we should look out for in, in the near future that suggests one way or another how these trend lines might shift? Well, I think one of the things we can look at is, you know, the vast majority, let's just take Syria as an example, the vast majority of the refugees in Syria, from Syria, live in those five countries surrounding. And the, and the biggest numbers are in Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq. So if we looked at those three countries and we said, are we making progress? Are more Is a higher percentage of these children getting into school? Because right now the percentage, as I said, is going down. So is a higher percentage of kids getting into school or not? That's a very simple indicator. 
I would say, that we're making progress. And right now that, that number is going in the wrong direction. And what are some of like the social indicators, social ills that accompany, you know, having like a huge number of children not in yeah. school? I mean, have we ever like experienced something like that before? You have like a, a population that was pretty well educated, middle yeah. income, yeah. and now have children who you know don't well, have basic you know arithmetic or yep. or perhaps illiterate yeah i i mean i think this is the biggest population the 65 million people that are displaced and refugees around the world is the largest population since world war ii so i think the question is what you know what what did we see happen in different countries after that mm-hmm. um i've never experienced in my work at save the children i've been there almost 20 years i've never experienced a crisis that has lasted this long for this many people coming from a middle income country like syria so, so what can we expect i mean it I think like it, i mean nothing good can come of this nothing good can come of this i mean i i don't know how we can expect that you won't have a really you know, Syria is going to have a very difficult time. If we could get peace in Syria, that's obviously something we all would would want to see because most of the refugees actually want to go back. But once they go back, again, these young people are really going to be ill-equipped to be able to rebuild their country and to be able to move their country forward. And it will take a very long time for them to get back just to where they were. So that's why we think it is just critical that we not give up on these kids and make sure that there are opportunities for them to go to school and get a basic education. We're just talking about a basic education at this point. Uh, well, well, thank you for your time. Anything else you want thank to add? Uh, I think just as people think about what, uh, what countries can do, I think all of the countries here at the UN can make a, that are here this week, can make a commitment, whether that's to take in refugees, to support the countries that are hosting millions of refugees, obviously for the public to support these kinds of efforts. Um, I just think, as, as we have said, you know, education can't wait. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Smart. All right. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Carolyn and the people from Save the Children. I should say, uh, Carolyn was a guest on a very early episode in which she discussed her her life and career. So just go to iTunes or, or the globaldispatchespodcast.com and you can search for my conversation a couple of years ago with Carolyn Miles, who told me how she became the president and CEO of one of the largest and, and most important and most impactful global humanitarian agencies. Meanwhile, headed back home soon after a, a intense week in New York. Uh, enjoy. You can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com if you want to get in touch with me. If you want to become a supporter of the show, please do make a contribution via Patreon and I'll send you some great rewards. You just go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and you can see all the rewards that you can get for supporting the show other than the reward of supporting the show. Anyway, thanks. Bye.